0: Welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and BoardView podcast. I'm your host, Ben Young, and this week we have a special guest, Dr. David Zacks, who's a professor at the Kellogg Eye Center of the University of Michigan, where he also serves as my vitro surgery fellowship director. So first, I want to thank Dr. Zacks for coming in on a very cold winter morning using what we all know is essentially unlimited free time as a full professor and clinician scientist.
1: Thanks, Ben. Wonderful to be here.
0: So what we'll be covering today with Dr. Zax was honestly a very confusing topic to me learning as a resident. And even now as a retina fellow, it was a little murky of a topic and Dr. Zax will help clarify that, which is what's really the point of a scleral buckle in 2021? Why ever use it over vitrectomy? But before we have Dr. Zax explain the decision-making in terms of using a scleral buckle, first, let's start with the basics of how to do a retinal detachment repair. So Dr. Zax... In general, what's the surgical strategy to repairing a detached retina?
1: Yeah, thanks, Ben. That's a great question. And of course, I'm just going to preface everything by saying that we're talking here about regmatogenous retinal detachments. Right. The key for fixing a regmatogenous retinal detachment, in my mind, are three. One you have to find the breaks. And I emphasize the plural because, you know, oftentimes I look in and say, oh, there's this big break, oh yeah, that's it. But no, you really have to look for 360 degrees, scleral depression, preoperatively and also intraoperatively to make sure that you have identified all the breaks. Second is to seal the breaks. And by sealing the breaks, I'm talking about the PEXI, the retinopexy, be it either with cryotherapy or with laser retinopexy. And then you have to plug the breaks and that's where We'll talk, you know, I think scleral buckle will come into play as we discuss plugging the brakes. Most of us think about plugging the brakes with an internal tamponade of a gas bubble, such as in a pneumatic retinopexy or during a vitrectomy. But we can also plug the brakes from the outside. That is, we can push the wall of the eye up to the brake, to the retinal brake. So those are the three points. Drainage is not one of the points, you know, for example, in a pneumatic retinopexy, we don't routine, you yeah. know, drain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do, uh, the three points are find the brakes, seal the brakes, and plug the brakes. The order of operations will always start with finding the brakes, and then sealing the brakes and plugging the brakes, that order of operations will change depending on the procedure that you're using. Gotcha. It's the Dr.
0: Zach's taught me that very early, and it's been kind of my mantra uh, throughout fellowship so far.
1: You can use it as a checklist in the operating room. Did I yeah. find the brakes? Did I seal the brakes? And did I plug the brakes? If I've done all those three things, I'm done with the surgery. Right, yeah. Goals of surgery.
0: So, you know, I know historically scleral buckles were developed first, but as I've even seen just in practice here and in my residency, it seems like vitrectomies are more commonly used nowadays than scleral buckles. So what are some of the disadvantages to scleral buckling?
1: Well, scleral buckle is technically, I think, a little bit more challenging and a little bit more demanding. The localization of the buckle, placing it, you know, because you're, you're trying to approximate the position of the buckle on the outside of the eye by looking on the inside of the eye where the brakes are. So that can always be a little bit challenging. And if you're off a little bit, it can lead to failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is more morbidity with scleral buckles. It's more painful. Mm-hmm. Generally, it takes a little bit longer. It's bloodier. You can have lots of issues as pertains to ptosis, diplopia, other things, because it's, it's, it's a bit more invasive. So I think the trends as vitrectomy surgery has gotten so much more sophisticated mm-hmm. that most people will generally start with a vitrectomy, and it's easier on the patient, et cetera.
0: Gotcha. So that takes us back to the original question of the episode is, why then ever use a scleral buckle?
1: So I have a kind of a decision-making tree. So I would say that we can use buckles in one of two ways. We can use it as a primary method for treating a retinal detachment, and we can use it as an adjunct to a vitrectomy, right? So people have heard of a vit buckle, right, Mm -hmm. where we combine the two procedures. So I have a little bit of a decision-making tree in my mind when I'm looking at the patient and examining them preoperatively that will help me decide when to use a scleral buckle. And the very first thing that I... Want to assess when I see a patient with a retinal detachment is the status of the vitreous, hmm. and I want to know is the patient's vitreous attached or detached. A good surrogate for that that can sometimes be difficult to tell, especially in the context of a detachment. Mm-hmm. But a good surrogate for that will be age. You know, young patients have pretty well-formed vitreous, and it can be very difficult to remove all of it during or enough of it during the vitrectomy surgery, and Oftentimes, these patients will present with a detachment that's secondary to lattice degeneration with atrophic holes. And, you know, they, it's not so much that billowy regmentogenous retinal detachment look from a horseshoe tear secondary to a PVD, right. but more kind of that rounded looking detachment. The vitreous will be very adherent typically in those patients, and it can be difficult to adequately remove the vitreous. So, those patients, I will often be using a, a scleral buckle as the primary procedure. Another typical example of that will be a young person with a trauma and let's say a retinal dialysis. Mm-hmm. Those are exquisitely sensitive and well-treated with the scleral buckle, and I would rarely use the vitrectomy as the primary mechanism of, of repair for that type of a detachment. Mm, okay,
0: so it sounds like in young patients, especially if they have atrophic holes or even retinal dialysis, that seems like scleral buckles are maybe more effective, and it's because it's. Difficult of vitrectomy to perhaps get all the vitreous out in a well-formed uh, vitreous eye,
1: is that? That's right. You know, so when we're born, the vitreous is very firm. It's, it's really jello-like consistency. Mm-hmm. As we get older, it liquefies, and that's the process then ultimately when we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s, when we get that posterior vitreous separation and the PVD. Gotcha. Once the PVD happens in itself, and it's softened, it's relatively straightforward and, and easy to take out the vitreous. Mm-hmm. But in a young person with a well-formed vitreous, it can be tricky. It can be difficult and inadequate. I think this is the important point. The inadequate removal of the vitreous, leaving too much of the posterior hyloid face attached to the retina, is a setup for PVR, contractile membranes, and that's a setup for failure. So that's why oftentimes we choose a scleral buckle in these young myopes with peripheral pathology that then leads to these kind of atrophic holes that then lead to these chronic-looking, these tend to look more chronic-looking detachments, and uh, we often do a vitrectomy in there in the setting of trauma you may have to do a vitrectomy though just because uh, in a and oftentimes combined with a scleral buckle just because you can't see well enough if there's a lot of blood uh-huh. so those are a little bit more atypical situations but again in the routine day-to-day practice that's the first point in my decision making tree of whether I'm going to use a primary scleral buckle is, you know, the status of the vitreous.
0: Gotcha. So, you know, I I know in the literature there's some ado about lens status. How much does whether they are pseudophagic or phagic play into your decision making for buckle versus vitrectomy?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a little bit controversial. The primary number one goal is to reattach the retina. Mm Mm-hmm. In a young person, you know, they've got great accommodation, they're, uh, they can see well, they've got the, a well-formed vitreous, we're doing a primary scleral buckle. They will have refractive issues, of course, sometime after a scleral buckle, especially if it's in a big encircling band. So there are prices to pay with both procedures. Mm-hmm. In an older person who may already be uh, having some cataract formation, yes, vitrectomy and the introduction of a gas bubble accelerates the progression of the cataract. Mm-hmm. You know, in surgery, we're We always try to take care, uh, you know, to not hit the lens with our instruments, Uh, be gentle uh, around the lens. But again, the primary goal is to reattach the retina in the simplest, most effective way possible. Right. And, you know, the the progression of the cataract can be quite variable. and some people, it progresses quite rapidly. But if you're careful, it it can be a slow progression. It's not guaranteed that they will have the cataract formed afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I think most of the community, and this is... Kind of borne out also just in, for example, the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists, mm-hmm. with their practice trend survey, their PAT survey. Most people will, uh, if there's a, a PVD and single horseshoe tear or something like that, most people will do a vitrectomy regardless of fake status.
0: Okay, gotcha. So it, I know I'm maybe overgeneralizing here, but it sounds like deciding between scleral buccal versus vitrectomy, vitreous status has much more influence to you than lens status. That's correct. Gotcha. You know, I think that's kind of the meat of the decision making tree for buckle versus vitrectomy. I just want to go into a few other scenarios where one might consider um, a buckle as well. What about in cases with proliferative vitreoretinopathy or
1: PVR? Right. That's a great point. And that's where, you know, we're talking about the use of buckle as an adjunct. Mm-hmm. Many of us do use sclerobuckles as an adjunct to vitrectomy when there's a lot of peripheral membranes, PVR. And this helps, you know, it can be very difficult to release all that traction. And, uh, and a vitrectomy alone may be insufficient and may help get that retina reattached. So in that case, a vit buckle is oftentimes uh, used. So a primary buckle would be insufficient because you, you're not peeling the membranes from the inside of the eye but primary vitrectomy alone may also be insufficient because you can't do adequate peeling. Gotcha. So the combination is that one-two punch that may help you release that traction enough to keep that retina attached. Gotcha. And then just because
0: we're kind of on the topic, do you see any utility for a scleral buckle in tractional
1: attachment, such as in diabetes? It, it depends a little bit on the scenario. Typically, diabetic uh, traction is more posterior along the arcades or just outside of the arcades where the fronts of neovascularization are in those cases the buckle would not typically be very helpful mm-hmm. because it can't reach that far back so uh, usually the vit buckle is used in cases of proliferative vitreal retinopathy you know recurrent retinal detachments with peripheral membranes, yeah. anterior loop PVR, things like that, as opposed to proliferative diabetic retinopathy and those tractional detachments where typically it's mostly vitrectomy and membrane peeling.
0: Gotcha. So the difference is the position of that traction, it's more way more anterior in PVR.
1: PVR, it's anterior typically uh, and more posterior in PDR. And if it's too posterior, the buckle just isn't really helping it you. Isn't doing anything.
0: Okay. And then... Do you ever consider buckles when patients might have positioning issues, like, you know, really bad neck arthritis? Or-
1: yeah, that's another great point. You know, plugging the brake really requires positioning. You know, we know about that in pneumatic retinopexy. It's most clearly demonstrated in that situation. But yes, if you have inferior pathology and you have a patient who just can't position, a buckle either primarily or as an adjunct to the vitrectomy can be extremely helpful in ensuring that kind of success. Yeah. yeah, that's a fantastic point.
0: Gotcha. Great. The last point we'll end on is whether you think a combined vitrectomy with scleral buckle is necessary for a primary pseudophagic retinal detachment. You know, I know there's some um, out there in the, in the literature in the community who like to do combined vitrectomy buckles for, you know, a straightforward primary RD. Uh,
1: we're just curious what your thoughts are on that. I think, again, the most important thing is for the retina to become reattached. Mm-hmm. And in some people's hands, a VIT buckle works better than a VIT alone. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's no shame in that, and that's okay. Right. As long as we remember the three principles of retinal detachment repair, find the brakes, seal the brakes, and plug the brakes. Right. And you can do that with any of these th- procedures— and you have to use your judgment as to which is the best procedure for that individual patient. I tend not to try to be dogmatic about always using one thing, always using another thing. Mm-hmm. I try to uh, see what the specifics of the situation are for that patient. A vit buckle may be the perfect procedure. Sometimes And oftentimes, a vitrectomy alone will be fine. You found only a couple breaks or you know, a pneumatic won't work because it's maybe in the wrong clock hour. But patients will often do very well with a vitrectomy alone, provided that you've followed the three principles of retinal detachment repair. Gotcha. So it's
0: less about the algorithm, more just about those three principles that guide all your strategy. That's right.
1: Yeah. If, and then you, you tailor the procedure so that you can accomplish those three principles for that patient.
0: Gotcha. So you mean that means I have to actually think as a retina fellow, and I can't just use a, a flow chart.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it well. it has to be easy enough for a retina surgeon to do, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, uh, it's it, it is very much about optimizing the initial procedures so that you can optimize the chance for a successful reattachment.
0: Great. Well, I think that covers everything we want to uh, cover in this episode about scleral buckles. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears, that's number four. And if you'd like to support the podcast, then you can leave us a rating review on iTunes where we found our podcast. Again, I'd like to give a huge thanks to Dr. David Zacks for coming in on a blustery winter morning to help teach me and all of us about this, I hope, previously confusing topic. Thanks again, Dr. Zacks. Thank you very much.